Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. President Trump removed from a Christmas classic. The lead starts right now. The president fuming and furiously retweeting as Congress remains locked in a battle over his impeachment trial. How long this fight could drag into 2020. Edited for TV, President Trump annoyed and the right triggered that Canadian TV cut his cameo from Home Alone 2. Plus, the desperate search for a tour helicopter with seven people on board that disappeared along the cliffs of Hawaii. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Erica Hill in today for Jake. And we begin with the politics lead. President Trump clearly has Nancy Pelosi on the brain. Just moments ago, he continued his Twitter attacks against the House Speaker, insisting Democrats are stalling because their case against him is weak. The president also targeting the top Democrat in the Senate, Chuck Schumer, for his attacks on Republican Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. After McConnell said just days ago he's not an impartial juror. Yet at the height of the Clinton impeachment saga, then newly elected Senator Schumer said this on CNN. This is not a criminal trial, but this is something that the founding fathers decided to put in a body that was susceptible to the whims of politics. Also, it's not like a jury box in the sense that people will call us and lobby us. You don't uh-huh. have jurors called what? and lobbied and things like that. I mean, it's, it's quite different than a jury As CNN's Phil Mattingly reports, both sides are playing politics, while talks for a Senate trial remain at a standstill. As President Trump continued his holiday Twitter barrage against Democrats on impeachment, Speaker Nancy Pelosi continuing to press her party's case in her own tweet, saying, quote, President Trump abused his power for his own personal gain. Yet for all the 280 character thoughts, the battle over what the looming Senate trial will look like remained where it's been for days, at an impasse. Sources telling CNN no conversations between the top two Senate leaders have occurred or are likely to before January. And with tangible action tabled for the moment, it's the rhetorical fight sitting at center stage. All the people that Donald Trump has said that can profess his innocence He hasn't let come uh, before Congress, and she's trying to make sure that they're going to be able to testify before the Senate. To some degree, a clear Democratic strategy to get under the president's skin. Something sources tell CNN is exactly what's happened. They're playing games. They don't want to put in their articles, their ridiculous, phony, fraudulent articles. But even more importantly, Democratic sources say, to exert pressure on Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. It would be unprecedented for the United States Senate in an impeachment trial to in a, that will decide on whether the president is convicted and removed from office to not hear any witnesses. McConnell has rejected Democratic calls to subpoena witnesses and documents in the initial trial rules resolution and has scoffed at the Democratic pressure play. I'm not sure what leverage there is in refraining from sending us something we do not want. As Congress moves toward the new year, the most crucial questions still remain unanswered. 
from the most immediate, like when the articles will even be transmitted to the Senate and who Pelosi will pick to be managers, to how long the trial could last, and perhaps more importantly, whether the votes will be there to call witnesses and subpoena documents. And Erica, people I'm talking to on both sides of the aisle say expect things to start moving to get some of the answers to those questions pretty quickly after lawmakers return in January from the holiday vacation. But it's worth noting, nobody actually knows for sure right now. Speaker Pelosi has kept her plans very closely held, close to the vest. As one Democratic member told me earlier today, Erica, I guess just stay tuned at this point. Just buckle up and we'll talk to you in January, I guess. Phil, thank you. As as we look at all of this playing out, a Schumer spokesperson telling CNN his statements came after the conclusion of the Starr investigation and that there was, of course, eventual testimony from President Clinton. But, Joan, as we look at all of this, it really does show just how political the process is, not just today, but even then. But back then, I mean, sure, back then, Democrats said this was a political process and objected to some of the rules just as uh, they're they're doing uh, with the Senate today. But I have to say, the Schumer office statement is correct. They were basing their impeachment on a remarkable amount of of cooperation. Despite the cries that it was a witch hunt, the Clinton administration cooperated. Aides testified, uh, secretaries testified, the president himself testified. So that when it got to the Senate, Erica, they did have a body of evidence that they 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 could rely on. They could rely on documents. They could see transcripts. They could even look at if they wanted to. They could look look at, and I believe they did, look at video of the testimony. So there had already been a a major foundation of evidence, whereas the House was stymied in all of its attempts to get that. So I, I think it I think that Senator Schumer is right that this time is very different. When we look at, too, there's so much anticipation. And as Phil pointed out, we're just going to have to keep waiting, which is which is not entirely surprising, Philip. But when we we think about the fact that we don't have the House managers yet, this is something I discussed last night with Democratic Congressman Denny Heck. And here was his take on waiting for them. And it's hard to understand or determine what kind of floor managers you want to send into this impeachment trial if you don't know what the ground rules are. I find it hard to believe that Nancy Pelosi does not have lists already in her head. Even if they are, okay, well, you know, if it's this scenario, if it's that scenario, bottom line, she wants the best people. Right. Yeah. Yes, I think you're absolutely correct. I think Nancy Pelosi, we can at least give her the credit that she has done her homework in that regard. Obviously, the the major undercurrent here is power. The Democrats hold power in the House. They do not hold power in the Senate. They are trying to use whatever leverage they still have to try and influence what happens in the Senate. I think it is a little silly to talk about precedent in, the, in terms of impeachment, since this is the third time this has happened in American history. Uh, and I think that uh, the, Jones absolutely right that, there, that that politics is the defining characteristic of this, as opposed to justice. This is not about justice. It fundamentally isn't. It is about politics, and therefore we're seeing this political power play between the two chambers. And we're hearing a lot of it too, Jane. I want you to take a listen. This is Congressman Gregory Meeks of New York. So he was asked about the impeachment decision, specifically about the delay and whether there was concern that that could lead to losing some Democrats. I'm saying, what if a Doug Jones is contagious and there's three or four of them who say, you know what, case isn't clear enough. I'm going to quit. But no, I think that what you're going to have is, again, the opposite, because you saw already the senator from Alaska. And I think you're going to see some others who are looking at the camera of history also. Right. And they are concerned. I think it's the Republicans that you got to look at that may want to, uh, uh, to reconsider on what's taking place with this process. Jay, at this point, do you see Democrats or Republicans in the Senate really expressing concern in that respect? No. And I think that the idea that Republicans might come on board to this impeachment might really... 
belies the fact that Republicans are incredibly reliant both on Trump and Trump's popularity. Trump may have short coattails for particular elections, but he has long coattails in terms of popularity within the Republican Party. And I think that you're really not going to see a lot of aisle crossing, no matter what someone like a Susan Collins or Murkowski might say. I don't think you're going to see a lot of changes in opinion. There's not really going to be you know, as far as we know at this point, a big moment that's going to shift viewpoints in the Senate. And Brendan, what about as this does drag on, what about frustrations specifically for senators who are looking at re-election? Well, you've got senators looking at re-election who I think need to be concerned about looking like they are fair, impartial jurors. You've also got senators who are, are going to be sitting there on the floor for days on end. And I think that we, we probably uh, underappreciate the, the strain that's going to put on and how grumpy people are going to get. And then you've got just a matter of weeks until the Iowa caucus. So if this just drags on for three or four weeks, it's hard to imagine Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and Cory Booker sitting on the Senate floor for four weeks and letting all of that campaigning go on by. So there's a lot of pressure, I think, not just from Republicans who want to get this over with, but Democrats who, who frankly, are, are going to at least want to be out on the on the campaign trail talking to voters because they know how this is going to end. It's not going to end with the president being removed. They want to get the nomination to take him out in November. Um, as, as we look at all of this, it was remarkable to me this morning. Christine Pelosi uh, was on New Day and was asked specifically about the conversation at the Christmas dinner table with her mother. Here's what she said. So was um, Christmas interesting around your dinner table uh, this year? Were you, did you spend it with your mom? I did. And, you know, the funny thing is that we're probably one of the few families in America who did not talk about impeachment uh, at the Christmas dinner table. I mean, Joan, she really just heading that one off at the past. Before you ask me, Allison, (laughs) I just want to be very clear. We didn't talk about impeachment. Do you buy it? Christine is a friend of mine, so I cannot call her a liar. And I do actually kind of buy it. Speaker Pelosi is a family person. She's got a fantastic family. She's got a large family. I've seen her in action being mm-hmm. grandma, grandma in chief. I can believe that they talk about it all the time. We didn't talk about it at our dinner table. We talk about them all the time. It was a Trump-free, impeachment-free zone. It was family, family only. Do you think it came up between other family members? Who, among the Pelosi's or in general? Yeah, among the Pelosi's. Yes, I think it probably did. Thank you, guys. Uh, As we continue on and counting down to the first votes of 2020, the candidate one former top Obama advisor says you should not overlook. Plus, the urgent search for a helicopter with seven people on board missing in Hawaii. Senator Bernie Sanders is among the Democratic presidential hopefuls back out on the trail today. Sanders making a stop in Iowa this afternoon as Democratic officials tell The New York Times the senator is being underestimated there predicting he'll likely finish near the top of the crowded 2020 field. Uh, the New York Times also says a lot of Sanders' strength comes from his strong, very loyal group of supporters, which works out well when you have them. The issue, of course, being, Jane, then you need to grow uh, that group of supporters that you have. Do you think that loyalty is enough to succeed in Iowa for him? Um, I, I think after 2016, I got out of the prognostication business. So I would say I have absolutely no idea and I'm not afraid to say so. I do think that that kind of loyalty can also breed more loyalty, as we've seen before with other presidential candidates. You know, Bernie Sanders is an incredibly strong candidate on the merits and especially in the context in which he's operating at a time when I think a lot of Democrats and people on the left are turned off by the idea that they have to move towards the center to appease people who voted for Donald Trump. I would also say, again, 
I don't know. And I think that it'll be interesting to see what happens after Iowa and moving on towards South Carolina and Nevada as well. Um, as we look at all of this, Joan, too, there were questions about whether Sanders would stay in the race for health issues, obviously, after his heart attack. I have to say, every time I see him out there, uh, knowing people who've gone through something similar, I am amazed yeah. at how fit he seems and how energetic he seems. He also since then has scored the endorsement of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, and he's remained steady in the polls while Elizabeth right. Warren has slipped. It seems to be working, whatever he's doing, in terms of holding on to these numbers. Well, he's not getting any attacks for real. Elizabeth Warren is getting it from the left, right and center. Uh, she's everyone's hitting her. Buttigieg, not Bernie himself, but some of his online, mm-hmm. you know, lefty supporters, the Biden camp. So she's she's taking incoming. He is not. The other thing I'll say is that he seems lighter on the campaign trail after his heart attack. I don't know what he's doing for, you know, to keep himself healthy, but he seems like a happier person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I think that's working. But I will say about Iowa, he got 49 point something percent of the caucus vote in 2016. So he is you could say he's underperforming. He's lost half of his support or or more. Uh, but if he wins, he could win Iowa. And if he wins Iowa, I think the rest of the race could look very different. I think that would really give him some ballast. Well, in terms of the rest of the race looking different, the Times also notes that if he performs well in early states, quote, it would add to the likelihood of buckle up, everybody, an extended primary battle with Mr. Sanders splitting delegates in the early states with several other candidates. Brendan, do you see a situation where Democrats could head to the convention without a nominee? Uh, I mean, that would be a gift to Donald Trump. That would be a gift to political junkies everywhere. You know, we talk about this every four years. I know uh, in 2016 we had talked about Republicans maybe getting there. This year there, there is the pot- greater potential for Democrats given the, the, the way they change the rules and there's more proportionality. But I still subscribe to the theory that early momentum carries. You know, if you win early states, money follows with you, momentum follows with you, attention follows media attention follows, and all of that builds on itself. And really, every time we've seen this in the last few cycles, whoever wins early states ends up coming out on top. So I, I, I'm skeptical. I would love it, personally. I think it would be a ton of fun to watch, but I, I, I'm still skeptical that we'll get there. You know, it's interesting in terms of the importance that's placed on early states for the exact reasons that you point out. But it's interesting to see the moves that candidates are making. So Joe Biden, of course, uh, in Iowa. And today we're learning that the first trip of 2020 is five straight days in Iowa. When you look at that, Philip, what does that tell you about how the campaign is really eyeing Iowa and what they need to do at this point? I think that Joe Biden is very well aware that Iowa and New Hampshire are not his strengths. He knows that that a lot of his support is really rooted in the strong support he has in the African-American community. That is positions him very well in South Carolina. He seems to be doing very well in Nevada as well. And I think that Joe Biden knows he needs to have a respectable performance there. It's not as though he was ever ignoring the states, really, but he needs to do decently there. And we've really seen this massive field come be narrowed down to about four people. And Biden Sanders have the advantage of having consistent bases of support. Yes. Part of the reason that Warren has been attacked is because she gained support. And so therefore right. people saw this was not necessarily steady support. Uh, same thing with Pete Buttigieg. Uh, Biden and Sanders then are well positioned for early states simply because they have these core bases of support. And Biden really knows that he can't be blown out in Iowa because that will, to Brandon's point, change the narrative around where he's headed. What's so interesting about, about the narrative is we're actually seeing what we're hearing from the candidates change a little bit on the trail. So CNN's Dan America uh, did a great piece about how Democrats are now speaking much more openly about their personal lives and who they are and how they became who they are. Take a listen to some of those moments. This is a special place for me, a special place for us, and it was a special place for my son. He was an incredible 
young man. I came out because I wanted to date. And <laughs> if dating had been available to me in my 20s, I'm not sure I would have got nearly as much done. Husband number one, hint, it is never good when you have to number your husbands. <laughs> Jane, when we look at those moments, I would say it's, it's, it's twofold. Yes, there likely has been a push to connect more with voters, but I think voters are also pushing for more of it. With so much reach now, whether it be social media, whether it be the selfie line with Elizabeth Warren, they expect a more personal candidate, Jane. Right. You know, we, we are long past the days of Calvin Coolidge. We want to know who candidates are and we want to know what candidates think. It's interesting, though, because I think that some of the old tests that we talk about, you know, oh, could you have a beer with this candidate? Does this candidate seem personable? It doesn't really seem to apply to a lot of the real tests that we'll ask the future president to take on. You know, I don't need to have a beer with someone if I need them to negotiate trade deal with Mexico. You know, I want someone who's qualified, and if they're personable, that's great. But it is interesting to see kind of the many balls that we're forcing 2020 candidates and a lot of politicians in general to juggle. You know, you also have to be qualified and personable, but likable, but likable in a very specific kind of way. And it seems to just be adding extra challenge to the challenge that is running for office. Brendan, does it does it stop at some point? I mean, to Jane's point, when you are throwing all of these things at candidates, this is the, the list of boxes that you need to check. Is there a point where we reach maximum capacity where voters reach maximum capacity to me this is about electability and that and that's one of the you know the buzzwords of this cycle but i think i think it matters a lot of the, the truth is a lot of these candidates have very similar platforms and one of the big things that we know from polling that democrat uh the primary voters care about is whether they are nominating someone who can actually beat donald trump and what is one of the biggest flaws we know Donald Trump has is it's his personality. There's a lot of people, especially women voters, people in suburbs, who just don't like his personality. And so you need to be able to say that I can go up and I can run against Donald Trump and I'm an electable person. I may have progressive policies, but people can still like me along, along the way. Um, and I think that's why you're seeing this now. It's interesting, though, because, Philip, as we, as we look at that, they're trying to make this contrast to Brendan's point about the president isn't likable, we think, but we are. But there's such a wide swath of the country and there are a number of voters who say it's not really about, you know, to Jane's point, it's not about whether I like the president. It's whether he can do what I want done. And if Donald Trump is doing what they want done and following through on promises, then. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's why Donald Trump maintains the loyalty of the Republican base is there are a lot of Republicans. You speak with Republican voters and you hear a lot of them say, I don't really love the guy, but right. And it's that key. But and, and this this issue of electability, it certainly is the case. A lot of American voters make their decisions based on how they feel about the candidates. You know, and I think part of the reason that we're hearing more of these personal stories now is because people are starting to pay attention. I mean, all mm -hmm. three of us and, you know, all five sure. of us. A lot of time talking about politics that a lot of other people don't. Right. And so the candidates are really sort of introducing themselves now. And one of the, you know, obviously one of the, the factors in Iowa is the fact that everything is still so unbalanced. There mm -hmm. really isn't a lot, a lot of the field being set. They are saying, hey, America, here's who we are. And a lot of Americans are going to be paying attention to, OK, you know what? Joe Biden comes across like a, like, as a likable guy. And that'll be something that influences their decision. The candidates know this and they have polling that shows it. And it's very scientific behind the scenes. Right. But there's a reason they do it. And that was the focus of that New York Times article. It's the last Biden's days. number one asset. It really That's is. Right. Obama's vice president. Very important. But his, his likability, his personal story, his suffering, his pain, that's what people want to talk to him about on the rope lines. That's, that's what he has that's solid that, that no one is able to shake right now. Sure. Well, I don't know if it's enough, get, but get ready for more of it. Because yes. I think we're going to see more of it from all, from all the candidates. Sure. Um, a reminder, too, that while we are counting down to Iowa, before we get there, 
we're getting to 2020 itself. And you can ring in the new year with Anderson Cooper and Andy Cohen right here. New Year's Eve Live starts at 8 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, only on CNN. Home Alone 2, now the subject of an international incident after a Canadian broadcaster cut President Trump's cameo, triggering a fresh round of tweets. Seven seconds and three lines from 1992 are suddenly a major talking point. The president's cameo in Home Alone 2, where he gives directions to a young Kevin McAllister, was cut from a TV version of the Christmas movie airing in Canada. The Canadian Broadcasting Corporation says it was all part of a routine edit made in 2014. But as seen as Pamela Brown reports from the White House, the facts aren't stopping the president's supporters from claiming a case of anti-Trump bias. Excuse me, where's the lobby? For a ratings-obsessed president, conscious of every television appearance, no matter how small, these seven seconds are now putting Home Alone 2 at the center of a Christmas conspiracy controversy involving President Trump. Down the hall and to the left. After the president said he was honored to make a cameo appearance in the movie during a video conference with U.S. troops just before Christmas. It's been a good movie and uh, I was a little bit younger. To put it mildly, and it was uh, it was an honor to do it, and it turned out to be a very big hit. Obviously, it's a it's a big Christmas hit, one of the biggest. The movie aired on the CBC later that day without that seven-second scene, something Trump supporters quickly took notice of. With Fox News even claiming anti-Trump censorship was the reason the scene was edited out. Whatever but how bad is your Trump derangement syndrome for you to cut that out of a happy yeah. movie? And after that segment aired on the president's favorite channel, he pounced on Twitter, claiming it was edited out as revenge by Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, tweeting, I guess Justin T. doesn't much like my making him pay up on NATO or trade. But here are the facts. Even before Trump launched his presidential bid, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation made the edits to Home Alone 2 Lost in New York to get the movie under two hours. In 2014, multiple scenes were edited out, including then-private citizen Donald Trump's seven-second cameo, according to a statement from the CBC. Justin Trudeau wasn't even prime minister in 2014 and doesn't control how the CBC would edit a movie. But President Trump didn't miss an opportunity to get in on the joke. From his winter White House in Florida, Mar-a-Lago, for the holidays, he seemed to make light of the missing cameo, tweeting, the movie will never be the same. Just kidding. And CNN reached out to Trudeau's office about the president's claims, and Trudeau's spokesperson declined to comment. I guess no surprise there. Erica? No, not really, Pam. Thank you. Pamela Brown live at the White House for us on that one. What's remarkable is hours after the CBC confirmed that, as Pam laid out there, the edits were made in 2014. It was one of several scenes that were cut to fit the two-hour airtime. This is what the conversation was last night on Fox Business. Just take a listen. We're having this conversation, but we're fulfilling a stereotype with this narrative because this was deleted five years ago, along with many, many other scenes prior to him being president. And I think that's important because we shouldn't be making yeah, this a big deal. But, like but, they, they cut it out. Who but cares? Christina, seconds. you got to. Christina, you got to admit. I mean, it, it would make sense in Canada. Look, a lot of Canadians have, as you know, a very unfavorable. Uh, uh, but they didn't back in 2014. Did they? 
Don't let the facts get in the way there, huh? I mean, Philip, as you look at that, what's remarkable is the Fox reporter on that panel, as she's trying so hard to say, right. can we just look at the facts and what happened here right. and not try to fit some crazy conspiracy narrative? Right. And they're having none of it. Right. It's remarkable. And yet, it's not. <laughs> and yet, it's not. Right? I mean, that's what I was, I was going to say two things. First is that Home Alone 2 is not a Christmas classic. The second thing I'm going to say is that this is how it works. The way it works is Donald Trump powers his politics on aggrievement. And any incident of aggrievement, however real, is seized upon by his base and his supporters, including those at Fox News. Fox News amplifies things that they see in social media. Fox News pushes it out there. Other people see it. It spreads outward from there. It goes to the president. It goes to his Twitter feed. This is how it works. This is the cycle. This is why he's president of the United States. Not because of Home Alone 2 specifically, which again is not a Christmas mm-hmm. classic, but because <laughs> this cycle exists and he is powered by it. You know what's remarkable about, about that, too, is that Donald Trump Jr., right? So the president, is, as we saw, seemed to be having a little bit of fun with it. But Donald Trump Jr. called it absolutely pathetic. And part of a lengthy post on Instagram reads, in part, Imagine being so triggered that you can't leave a Christmas movie alone without editing. This is what we're up against in 2020. This is the filter by which people receive their news. This is why it's not a fair fight. But this is also why we will win. Jane, the hypocrisy is glaring. He's relying on a lie, a false story to gin up his base. But as you know, because you cover this so well, it works. I mean, I don't know if it does, though, granted, we're discussing it. So it has apparently proven effective. I do think it's interesting that apparently Home Alone 2 is the source of news for people in Canada who cannot vote in American elections. And that's how Trump will win in 2020. The math here doesn't quite work out, but it's interesting (laughs) because it is very much... You know, I think that this particular story is evidence of how it's the end of the year and we don't have as much to talk about. But I also think that there is a sense of, you know, you can see that Trump kind of found this amusing, but people around him are, are well aware that this is actually something that many people take very seriously because it's not about Home Alone 2. It's never about Home Alone 2. It's the idea that people don't feel as if their viewpoints are being taken seriously. They think that they're being taken advantage of and they think that their political beliefs are are being treated unfairly. And when you see that in some places, sometimes you see it in Home Alone 2, which actually is a Christmas classic, to be clear. Oh, Ooh, that's face. a separate debate we're going to have to set up for next year, maybe, because we don't have time to tell. But, Joan, what I think is remarkable is I, I actually do think it's a legitimate story that, that for us to discuss because of what it shows us in just that this is a perfect example of something that is completely innocuous. It's Home Alone 2. Right. Now, you can debate whether it's a Christmas classic, but it's still, you know, it's a movie about Kevin McAllister. There's not a lot of controversy in it. But the fact that this was run with and promoted even hours after it was very clear what the real story was, is an important discussion about where we're at in this country and how people are getting their information and how there is a refusal to look at facts. Well, Philip is exactly right that this is what they do. They peddle the lies. They go out with the lies. We debunk the lies. Mm-hmm. They keep telling the lies. It works with their base. And, Don, and it's just funny because Donald, J, Donald Trump Jr. is such a little baby that he's whining about this. He wrote a book called Triggered that, uh, that alleges that liberals are the ones who are obsessed with slights like this. But he's the one on a holiday who's you know going, going nuts about it. So that's just ironic. The funniest thing to me about this, and maybe other people knew this, but what, we, what I learned from this story is Trump demand, routinely demanded cameos from directors when if he let them use the Trump property. So this isn't the only time he did it. And, and I think that's a kind of early Trump corruption that, you know, should have told us more about him. 
Also kind of smart, right? I mean, you get paid for those cameos. So, hey, you know, why not? If you're going to be there and use the building, you may as well. Unfortunately, we have to wrap it there. Um, Brendan, I have time for one quick question for you. Christmas classic or not? Absolutely. I actually watched it two weeks ago, okay. and I was, I was going to speak up on that. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> okay, good. Now that, now that we have that settled. I'm, yeah. with, I'm um, with Philip. Okay. <laughs> so we're two for two. Look at that. Evenly <laughs> split. Uh, thank you all. Tonight, joining Jake Tapper for a CNN special report investigating the impact of President Trump's falsehoods. All the President's Lies airs at 10 p.m. Eastern right here on CNN. Up next, multiple people are dead after a commercial jet crash. One survivor says it was like a movie, screaming, shouting, people crying, all as the plane went down just seconds after takeoff. Also remarkable stories of survival. That's next. In our world lead, at least 12 people are dead after a plane crash in Kazakhstan. Aviation officials say the plane with close to 100 people on board lost altitude, broke through a concrete fence, then hit a two-story building. Now, remarkably, many survived. All flights from Beck Airlines have been suspended, and the president of Kazakhstan says all airlines and airports in the country will be thoroughly checked. CNN's Nathan Hodge joins us now. So, Nathan, what do we know about the cause of the crash? Well, Erica, earlier today, uh, the, the deputy prime minister of Kazakhstan said that investigators had come to some preliminary conclusions about the cause of the crash, saying that it was either a pilot error or that it was a technical malfunction. Now, that may seem rather broad, but he also added that the tail of the plane hit the runway twice on takeoff. Now, bear in mind, the aircraft was heading for the capital of Almaty, uh, from, uh, from Almaty to the capital of Nur Sultan, but only remained in the air for a few seconds before it hit the ground and careened into a concrete wall and hit this two-story building. Photos, of course, from the scene were, were quite shocking, and first responders arrived, finding the fuselage of the plane uh, literally split apart. But here's the rub. This plane did not catch on fire, even though it was taking off with a likely full load of fuel. And so that's probably what saved many of the passengers. In fact, uh, initial reports or initial uh, reports of the, the dead in the, in the accident uh, were reduced to 12, uh, and dozens were pulled from, uh, pulled from the wreckage by mm -hmm. first responders. So yes, uh, aviation authorities have responded very quickly uh, by, uh, by shutting down and ceasing the operation of, of that carrier, uh, Erica. And thankfully, they were able to, to respond so quickly. Uh, what do we know about the victims, Nathan? Right. Um, it's it's pr prompted an outpouring of, of, of grief in, in Kazakhstan. And, and like in many countries, uh, people have, uh, have gone online to, uh, to, to mourn the people that were lost, uh, the, the 12 individuals who were lost here. Uh, for instance, we know that, that the pilot was one of, one of the victims uh, who didn't survive. Uh, another was a journalist, uh, a woman named Donna Kruglova. Uh, we saw a very touching message that was posted by her publication uh, in Kazakhstan, a, a farewell me message from her editor-in-chief praising her for her work and her, uh, for her journalistic ethic. Uh, so certainly it's going to be a cause for mourning, and it's going to be a cause for official mourning. Saturday will be a, a day of official mourning, as was declared by the president. Uh, Erica? And, and we also mentioned I know there had been a suspension on um, Beck Air. Do we know when that could be lifted? Erica, we don't know at this stage. Uh, it's still quite early to tell. Uh, although investigators have said that they would like to know more about the history of that particular aircraft. 
uh, in addition to the measures that they've taken to, to halt the operations of the carrier that was operating at Erica. Nathan Hodge, live for us with those details. Nathan, thank you. The latest signs one of President Trump's cabinet members is heading for the exit and who Mr. Trump is eyeing as a potential replacement. Breaking news in our politics lead, a source confirming to CNN the White House is working on a list of potential candidates to replace Secretary of State Mike Pompeo if he decides to leave the administration. Now, speculation has recently ramped up that Pompeo is considering a Senate run in Kansas. I want to bring in CNN national security reporter Kylie Atwood. So, Kylie, what more do we know about who is on this list? Yeah, so there are some preliminary conversations happening at the White House right now about names of folks who could potentially take the place of Secretary of State Mike Pompeo if he does indeed decide to vacate his spot as America's top diplomat and run for the Senate seat in Kansas. And three of the names that are on the list as it stands currently are Steve Began. He is the deputy to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo at the State Department right now. We also have Robert O'Brien. He is the current and new national security advisor to to President Trump. And then there's Steve Mnuchin, Secretary of the Treasury. Now, the source who confirmed this to me also warned that this is a preliminary list. This is an evolving and ongoing conversation at the White House. But the bottom line here is that, yes, the White House does indeed expect that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is going to leave and he is going to run for the Senate seat. Now, that expectation comes on the heels of President Trump for the first time, essentially, a few weeks ago, giving his stamp of approval to Secretary Pompeo, saying that if he needed to leave, if he felt that this Kansas Senate seat was going to be won by the Democrats, lost by the Republicans, then it might be okay for him to run. Let's listen to what he said there, Erica. If I thought there was a risk to losing that seat, I would say that I would sit down very seriously and talk to Mike and find out how he feels about it. And Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has been one of the biggest advocates for Pompeo to run for this seat. He has said that publicly, and he's also had meetings at the Oval Office encouraging the White House that there may be a need for Pompeo to jump into the race. Well, those conversations one can imagine. Kylie, Pompeo also recently created his own personal Twitter account, which is helping to fuel some of the, some of the buzz. Yeah, so this is a new personal Twitter account. He still has his official account, and he uses that to talk about things that have to do with diplomacy, have to do with the State Department. But this personal Twitter account is showing a more soft and all-American side of Pompeo. You can see some of these images that are coming up on the screen right now. He is doing things like washing the dishes at home with his family, playing cards. He's also going to the football games, the Army-Navy football game, just a few weeks ago. So this is a different version of Pompeo than we are used to seeing in his official Twitter account. And it was launched just in time for Christmas. So he's been putting up a lot of pictures of Christmas trees and the like. Erica? A lot of Christmas cheer there. Kylie, thank you. I want to focus on this list now that we have, um, you know, from from the White House, this list that we have that's being put together. Maybe we could put it back up on the screen um, on the short list. It's evolving, as Kylie said. It is it is preliminary. But we know about Robert O'Brien, uh, Steve Mnuchin. Uh, there was also some reporting yesterday that Steve Mnuchin was actually sort of angling to be on the list. Began as well. When we when we look at that list, Brendan, what stands out to you? That it's not a very impressive list. Um, you know, two of those people have been in their position for you know, less than six months. 
Steve Mnuchin had very questionable credentials to be Treasury Secretary. I don't think he has any credentials to be Secretary of State other than that he's Treasury Secretary. Um, so I, I hopefully that, that list will expand. Um, but it's going to be a difficult confirmation for anybody they choose. I imagine we're going to have to relitigate all of the Ukraine questions, not to mention all of the other sort of crises that are going on around the world. Uh, it's not, not exactly a, a, a high-level list. The other thing, um, actually, I will say full, full disclosure, David Gergen pointed this out to me last night. It's all white men. Um, and, and Joan, David Gergen said to me, you know who I think should be on that list? He said Nikki Haley. That's an interesting choice. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, what, all I can say is we have known that Mike Pompeo was going to run for the, the Senate because his only constituency in this job has been Donald Trump. The State Department is decimated. We saw in the whatever whatever he was involved in in Ukraine, we saw that he didn't stand up for his personnel and the people there feel demoralized. We've seen uh, the Washington Post had a great story over the holiday about how the Ukraine division in particular has been decimated. So, you know, it, it's we've, we've known this and whoever gets the job is going to be a toady because Donald Trump wants to pursue his own foreign policy. He doesn't want someone who might stand up to him. We can't say, even though the filing deadline for Kansas may be June, obviously a decision will need to be made soon. Mitch McConnell wants to hang on to that seat, and there is a lot on the calendar uh, come January, as we know. Thank you all. Uh, I do want to get to some other news that we are following at this hour. A tourist helicopter disappearing with seven people on board along the cliffs of Hawaii. We have an update on that desperate search for you next. The Coast Guard ramping up the search for a helicopter missing off the coast of Kauai, one of the Hawaiian islands. It took off for a tour on Thursday, carrying seven people, including two minors, and has not been seen since. Coast Guard crews searching by air, boat, ATV. They are also battling a forecast of nearly 30 mile an hour winds and seven foot waves. CNN's Dan Simon joins me now. So, Dan, we've uh, just learned the last known communication was about 40 minutes before the chopper was leaving from a tour. When was that exactly? Uh, it was at 4.40 in the afternoon local time, Erica. This was routine communication. The helicopter was simply giving its location, did not issue a distress call. Everything seemed to be going according to plan. Keep in mind, these tour operators basically fly every day. They're very popular with tourists because you get to see a wide swath of the area in a short period of time. It does appear, Erica, that weather may have been a factor here. A cold front came in right around the time that the helicopter went missing. This touring company has been in business for 30 years. They seem to have a very good reputation, family-owned and operated. At this point, nobody seems to know exactly where the wreckage might be. Erica. And that extensive search continues. Uh, obviously, the Coast Guard is involved. Um, who else has joined in that search, Dan? Well, a whole slew of agencies and personnel are involved, local agencies, of course, the Coast Guard. You have a lot of aircraft up above looking for the wreckage, as well as many boats on the ground. We should point out that the helicopter was equipped with a tracking locator, but unfortunately, no signal has been detected. Erica. All right. Dan Simon with the latest for us. We'll continue to follow it. Thank you. A programming note for you. Be sure to tune in this Sunday morning for State of the Union with Jake Tapper. Among Jake's guests, Republican Senator John Kennedy and Democratic Congressman Joe Kennedy. You can catch that at 9 a.m. and noon Eastern right here on CNN. Our coverage continues right now. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. 
And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep Next Level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.